0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hi everyone, and welcome to New Books Network. I'm Galina Limorenko, doctoral candidate in neuroscience with a focus on biochemistry and molecular biology of neurodegenerative diseases at EPFL in Switzerland, and I will be your host today. Today we'll be talking to Erika Balsam about the new book edited by her and Hila Pelek, Feminist, World-Making, and Moving Image. This book offers intersectional, intergenerational, and international perspectives on nonfiction, film, and video making by and about women, examining practices that range from activist documentaries to avant-garde experiments. Well, Erica, welcome to the show. Thank you. So how are you? How's your week going?
2: Yeah, really well. It's quite warm here. It feels really like um, a kind of summer vibe, uh, but it's going well.
1: Brilliant. So, can you tell us, what do you do?
2: Um, I am a reader in film studies at King's College London, um, and I also write film criticism, art criticism, and sometimes work as a curator.
1: And how did you get interested in filmmaking?
2: Um, I studied it in college. I mean, I um, was always very interested in visual art and literature and um, somehow, yeah, in high school, I guess, I got very involved in watching films and being part of a film club. And then I studied it at college and uh, specialized in avant-garde cinema and documentary
1: Oh, wow. And uh, during your journey in your career, did you have um, mentors that were really supportive of you or maybe colleagues as well?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, All along the way um, from when I was an undergraduate uh, at the University of Toronto and then later I did my PhD um, at Brown and in both places there were really, really terrific um, mentors and also you know fellow students
1: and what would you say to our younger listeners and students and maybe even early career researchers um
2: what what would i say to them
1: about what exactly about the career for example the your choices that you made um yeah um
2: i'm not sure i mean um Yeah, it's hard to say. I guess I would uh, recommend to find a research project that you're very passionate about, um, because certainly the job market is very poor. So um, at the very least, I think it's best to choose something that um, you are really, really driven to investigate and make the choice based on that rather than on trying to um, anticipate in advance what kinds of research topics might be desirable on the job market.
1: Oh, excellent advice. So your latest book that you edited together with your colleague, Hila Peleg, is Feminist, World-Making, and the Moving Image. So can you tell us how did you come to writing it?
2: Uh, Yes, this is a co-edited volume that is tied to an exhibition that Hila and I curated together for the Haus der Kultur in der Welt um, in Berlin, which is a multidisciplinary arts institution. Um, Hila and I have been working together for nearly 10 years now, um, since I worked on the catalog for Berlin Documentary Forum 3. Um, And Berlin Documentary Forum was a biannual um, sort of event that Hila um, founded, um, and there were three editions happening at the Haus der Kultur in der Welt. And for the third one, um, I edited the catalog um, and wrote some of the um, sort of entries about the various artworks in the program. And that's when we started collaborating. Uh, Then in 2016, we co-edited a book called Documentary Across Disciplines that was published by uh, the Hakave and by MIT Press. Um, And so we've been working together for a long time. And both of us are very interested in the crossover between um, art and film, um, especially as it pertains to nonfiction practices and the politics of image making. And so I was um, starting a long sabbatical uh, in 2019. And Hila knew that. And she got in touch and um, suggested that we develop an exhibition and book project together, Um, and that became uh, the exhibition No Master Territories, Feminist World Making and the Moving Image. Um, So the book is conceived as a kind of companion volume for that exhibition. Um, Many of the works discussed in the book appear in the exhibition, but we also very much wanted the book to have a life of its own um, beyond the exhibition. So it's not conceived as a catalog in any way. It doesn't document all of the artworks in the show. It's more about staking out um, a field of inquiry or research um, that is shared with the exhibition.
1: All right. So let's dive into the book. And can we start with the very basics? Can you describe what is feminism?
2: That in a way goes against um, the thrust of the project, um, because I would say that one of the things we're very interested in is emphasizing that there are many, many, many feminisms and not um, one single feminism. Um, But in the introduction to the book, I do begin with um, an epigraph from the philosopher Amiya Srinivasan from her book, The Right to Sex, which was published last year. Um, And she writes, feminism is not a philosophy or a theory or even a point of view. It is a political movement to transform the world beyond recognition. It asks, what would it be to end the political, social, sexual, economic, psychological, and physical subordination of women? It answers, we do not know, let us try and see. So um, if there is any kind of working definition of feminism that we were using, it would be something like this, one that is about asking an open-ended question and proposing a plurality of responses. Um, And so through the book, we have many different, sometimes conflicting ideas of what feminism might be and how a feminist politics could be articulated through moving image practice.
1: Oh, interesting. So it's more about the process of uh, getting to, to the goal rather than something that has a definition, uh, like end definition.
2: Well, there is an end definition in the Srinivasan quote in that she calls for the end of the political Social, sexual, economic, psychological, and physical subordination of women. So that is very much a kind of goal, a sort of utopian goal, and one that would involve um, a complete remaking of the world as we know it. Ah, gotcha.
1: So, how does filmmaking play into this? I mean, filmmaking and
2: visual media more generally has been a very central site of feminist interrogation, um, both as a means of um, domination and a means of emancipation. So, you know, visual media such as, you know, narrative cinema are one of the primary cultural sites where we see very normative ideas about gender um, being articulated um, and reinforced. Um, And at the same time, the field of filmmaking is also a site of um, tremendous contestation and a place where various kinds of emancipatory positions can be articulated. And so we were especially interested in looking at the field of non Nonfiction filmmaking. And we understand nonfiction as a very broad um, field that encompasses documentary, essay filmmaking, video art, experimental film, educational films, newsreels, and so on. Um, And we were very interested in this field because it breaks out of the very capital intensive form of um, the fiction feature film which is, you know, the kind of uh, form that tends to monopolize ideas about what cinema is and also how film history is written. But we were also interested in this form because um, we have within it a claim on actuality, some kind of claim um, about saying something about our world as it is rather than you know inventing an entirely fictional world. These are works that often um, describe um, the world that we live in. And we were interested in thinking about how many of these works um, re-describe reality from a feminist point of view. So they allow us to really see the world um, in very, very different ways. And what time periods do you feature in your book? The focus is on the 1970s to the 1990s, and this is true um, of the exhibition as well. And that's obviously a period in which there were women's liberation movements springing up um, all around the world. It's also a time of technological change when we have um, the heightened availability of video technology, of eight millimeter and 16 millimeter filmmaking. And so there's also a sense that um, these formats are more accessible for women and easier to to use with limited budgets. Um, That that said, we are not making any kind of periodizing claim. Um, There are discussions um, of works in the book and also included in the exhibition that go back um, to the 1920s um, and continue up um, through the new millennium and a little bit into the present. So we really want to emphasize that um, this history of feminist film and video making that we're looking at is something that has a very, very long history. It's virtually as old as cinema itself. Um, and it's also something that continues into the present present. Um, So we have this focus on the 70s to the 90s, but it's it's not strict.
1: Hmm. You have such a beautiful gallery of uh, different kinds of filmmakers and their works. Can you just tell us what was your process of choosing who to feature in your exhibition and in the book? Um, so one of the first things that we did was um, go
2: to the Arsenal Archive um, in Berlin and really look at all of the works in their collection um, that were nonfiction works by women that we were not familiar with. And their collection is very international because many of the works um, come from um having been exhibited at the Berlinale Forum, which is a program of very adventurous filmmaking um, that's been going on for, I guess, about 50 years now. And so we looked at all of those. We also went back and looked at a lot of old film festival catalogs. um, And we were really interested in trying to move a little bit outside of the handful of figures that tend to be discussed again and again and again, when it comes to feminist filmmaking. Um, We were also very interested in decentering a focus on um, the U.S. and on Western Europe. The U.S. and Western Europe are absolutely represented um, in the exhibition and in the book, but we really wanted to kind of um, also look at other geographical locations. And we saw that really um, as a major point of urgency. Um, So we were doing this research. And um, in some cases, we commissioned texts for the book um, because there were particular films that we had come across in our research that we really wanted to um, generate some writing about. But in other cases, we simply approached contributors uh, whose work we really respected and who were specialists in certain areas. And we um, asked them what they thought would be interesting to write about. And so in some cases, um, the contributors to the book produced essays that then fed back into our research um, for the exhibition. And we included some works in the exhibition because we were so excited about how some of the contributors to the book um, had discussed them.
1: Now, can you give us a flavor of what kind of uh, works and uh, filmmakers you featured in your book?
2: Um, There is no single um, aesthetic style, no single approach. um, And that was something that we were um, very insistent upon. I mean, right now you sometimes hear of ideas like the female gaze, which perhaps somehow suggests that there is uh, a feminine or a feminist aesthetic and that all work should abide by certain formal characteristics if they are going to count within a category like that. And we really wanted to move away from that um, kind of focus. We were also very interested in braiding together um, a consideration of documentary works with um, a more experimental Tradition, and so we have um, some works um, and figures um, like Liz Rhodes or um, um, Nalini Malani, who are coming very much out of um, an artist film tradition. Um, but then at the same time, we have other figures um, such as Claudia von Alemann or Sarah Mulderor, um, who are working a little bit more in a documentary tradition. And we have lots um, in between as well. So we were interested um, in trying to understand this space between experimental film and documentary. Hmm,
1: It's like a whole spectrum, isn't it?
2: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: So what works made the biggest impact on you within the book that you featured or maybe something even outside?
2: Um, so the, the title of the exhibition, um, No Master Territories is a phrase that is drawn from a section heading in uh, When the Moon Waxes Red, which is um, a book by Trinti Minha. And she's included in the book. We have a reprint of her text outside in, inside out from 1986. Um, And it's sort of a central feature of the book that most of the texts in the book are new commissions, but we also have um, eight or maybe nine historical texts by filmmakers. And each of these is accompanied by a newly commissioned response um, by a contemporary scholar. And so Trin Minh Ha's Outside In, Inside Out is included in the book. Um, Her new film, What About China, is included in the exhibition. And she was a very important figure for us, not least in lending, um, you know, the title of No Master Territories to the exhibition, but also because her work is very multidisciplinary and she's working um, across documentary and experimental film. She's engaging in um, a kind of intersectional feminist critique of the ethnographic tradition and trying to think about a kind of deconstructive approach to um, autoethnography. And that was very, very important for us as um, a kind of theme running throughout the book and also the exhibition.
1: So what kind of things did the filmmakers try and strive to accomplish uh, by producing, making those movies or films? (laughs)
2: Um, I mean, it's very hard to generalize. In some cases, these are activist um, documentaries that are meant to have a sort of um, you know, political impact in terms of really changing people's minds or informing them about um, certain realities that maybe they wouldn't have known about. Um, but in other cases, the practices that are examined in the book are artistic practices and they don't have necessarily any kind of instrumental function. Um, But I think um, in general, there's a real desire to um, reclaim representation, um, meaning um, sort of to cease to be an object of representation and become a subject of representation. So how to represent one's one's own experience, one's community. We also have some works that are engaged in cross-cultural representations. That's another sort of very inspiring part of Trinti Minha's practice that we carried through in the book um, and in the exhibition. But. So it's hard to generalize. I think you know every filmmaker or artist that, that is included would probably answer that question um, in a slightly different way. But I think that um, for us, I think that the, the concept of world-making which is found in the title um, is an important one because really what that's about is about re-describing the world from a non-hegemonic point of view so as to potentially um, change the world, and perhaps that change, you know, is not something that occurs immediately. It's not perhaps not something that occurs for everyone, um, but even just um, in smaller corners, if people can kind of have their sense of what what is possible or what exists somehow altered in some way, that's what we were trying to get at by referring to this world-making capacity of the moving image.
1: Mm, Beautiful. So was the film as a medium always accessible to these kinds of filmmakers in this area?
2: Um, I mean, I think in general, film is um, not very accessible uh, as a medium in the sense that, you know, anyone can um, pick up a a piece of paper and a pen and write. Of course, one needs time and so on. But actually, the production of the work um, is not capital intensive, whereas filmmaking is a very capital intensive medium. Um, and so it has presented many, many barriers to access. But I think one of the things that is very notable about the works discussed in the book is that very few of them were made on 35 millimeter film, which is a sort of you know professional gauge of filmmaking. Most of these works were made on small non-professional gauges like super eight or 16 millimeter, which are cheaper and which are more accessible um, or on video. Um, Which equally cheaper and more accessible. And so there is this technological shift that happens um, in the 1960s, that um, moving image media begins to be sort of democratized at the level of production. And we really see that um, in um, all of these oppositional cinemas that spring up all around the world at this time, really taking advantage of these non-professional forms of um, moving image practice.
1: And what was the reception of uh, some of these uh, films uh, during the time that they, they were released? Again, it's
2: impossible to generalize about something like that. I mean, some of these films had very limited circulation and others had tremendously wide circulation. So for instance, um, uh, a film that was very important to us and which um, Giovanna Zaperi discusses in the book is Purchesso per Stupro, which is an Italian film from 1979 and it's um, a one-hour observational documentary of a trial for gang rape that took place um, in the suburbs of Rome, and this was made by a group of women collectively, originally shot on videotape, and the women worked for Rai, the Italian national broadcaster, and um, they made this, this film, video film. And um, it was broadcast on Italian television twice um, for a combined audience of something like 12 million people. And um, it was discussed a lot in the Italian press at the time. And so, you know, it, it was really sort of credited with changing a national conversation around rape. Um, So that's kind of like one side of the spectrum in terms of the public circulation of this work initially at um, or um, rather uh, at least initially at the time of its release, because subsequently the film was not shown um, very much at all. Um, But in other cases, we have works that were seen um, much less frequently, um, works that were in some cases uh, sort of put in closets or not looked at for years and rediscovered later on. Um, So it it really depends. But these were works, it's safe to say, that in general were not circulating through commercial cinemas. They tended to circulate in community groups, sometimes on television through um, experimental film contexts, film festivals, women's film festivals, especially. Um, so we're not talking about kind of mainstream cinematic distribution.
0: This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com.
1: And what's the value of having films as a medium for, for these topics to be sort of broadcast to a bigger audience?
2: Um, I'm not sure even if it has to do with a bigger audience, but I mean, as I mentioned before, I think that um, visual media has always been a very important field of struggle for feminism. Um, And there is also, I think an important dimension to the public nature of the moving image, at least during the period that we are mainly concentrating on here. So, you know, um, film exhibition generally was something that would take place collectively, and often in in the context where many of these works were shown, um, the film would be sort of just one aspect of an event that would also include discussion. And so for instance, um, several of the films that we uh, included in the exhibition actually show this process of discussion that occurs around film screenings. So Sarah Gomez's Mia Porte from 1972 is a Cuban film that really looks at what happens 10 years after the revolution in Cuba, were the promises of the revolution fulfilled for women? And Gomez was an Afro Cuban woman who was very attentive also to the way that race and gender were intersecting uh, in women's lives in Cuba at the time. And so the film is about half an hour long. And very interestingly, it ends with a scene in which a group of women watch the film that we have just seen, and then they sit around and they discuss it. And I think that this is a very important dimension of thinking about how um, film and video have functioned as tools of of feminist politics.
1: Oh, I love it. So you kind of take it into the real life and you really discuss it. You really try to kind of find the ways to integrate it within your life and uh, ponder the questions. Exactly. It can be a kind of catalyst for
2: discourse. So some of these films, you know, would be screened for um, women's groups and educational contexts. And the idea was to watch the film together and then to have a kind of discussion about it afterwards. And I think, you know, that's that's very different than thinking about, you know, the solitary consumption of a work of art that one would contemplate for its aesthetic value.
1: So how has the reception of such films changed over time? Um, Perhaps
2: it hasn't. I mean, um, that's again, it's, it's impossible to generalize about something like that. Um, I think what I can say is that um, in the present, there is a tremendous interest in um, revisiting these histories, which have perhaps not received um, adequate attention. Um, there are people who have been invested all along in taking care care of these works, showing these works and discussing them. And that's why I'm very skeptical or critical of a certain line of discourse that I think we come across a lot today, which is about the rediscovery of forgotten films, because that always begs the question of, you know, forgotten for whom? For some people, these films have never been forgotten, and they've always remained very important. Um, That said, I think that we are in a moment when there is A very necessary and urgent um, need to, to think critically about film canons and their mechanisms of inclusion and exclusion, and to really engage in the writing of revisionist film histories. And so a project like this is very, very much engaged in that. And especially, I think it encourages us to think beyond the figure of the auteur, which remains one of the dominant ways that film history gets um, understood, both in terms of how film history is written, but also how film history is mediated to a public by um, film museums and cinematechs. So instead of sort of championing a handful of female auteurs as sort of new geniuses to be inserted into a canon that would remain otherwise unchanged, we were interested in exploding that very idea of a master or an auteur and trying to search for other kinds of criteria um, that might be used to think differently about the history of this field of practice.
1: And for the younger generations of feminists, is it easy for them to relate to some of the topics that are featured in in the films from that era that you cover? Um, I mean, I can't speak
2: for a younger generation, but my impulse would be to say that there is no difficulty in relating because, in fact, most of these things have not changed so much. So for instance, the book and the exhibition deal with questions of racism, of um, environmental damage, of um, the need for self-representation. And these are all things that are so alive, you know, in our contemporary moment, the demand for reproductive justice. I mean, we're very interested in uh, moving away from I guess what gets called lean in feminism or what some scholars have called neoliberal feminism. Um, And we're instead interested in thinking about all of these places where feminism sort of links up with other struggles for justice. And you know these struggles remain our own today. Unfortunately, in many cases, not so much has changed um, in you know, 40, 50, 60 years. And in certain cases, things are worse now than they were then. So no, I, I, I would think that a younger generation wouldn't really have um, much difficulty in seeing uh, the, the urgency and interest of looking at these works.
1: Oh, gosh, that is so sad.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's sad, but uh, but I mean, I would say it's accurate if we look especially at what's happening in the U.S. with um, the dismantling of the EPA and the overturning of Roe v. Wade. I mean, I think we really need to understand that believing in some kind of narrative of progress is, is, is really not possible anymore.
1: So where do we go, go from here with regards to filmmaking in this area? Um,
2: from here, from today, or
1: yep. So, where do you find the filmmaking uh, about uh, feminist world making uh, now, and how do you think is going to evolve?
2: I mean, I think it remains a huge part of contemporary practice. I mean, thinking about, for instance, works that are currently on view in Documenta 15 or in the Berlin Biennial. I think that in the kind of um, sphere of experimental documentary and artist filmmaking, we really see that many of these concerns um, are very much still alive for a generation of artists uh, working today.
1: And what would you like to see in the future
2: um,
1: I mean
2: <laughs> that's very difficult to answer. I mean my work is you know as a film historian and a film scholar so i i'm not I'm not interested necessarily in setting out prescriptions as to what artists should do in the future um but in terms of thinking, um, you know, more more broadly about feminist politics, I think it's it's absolutely necessary to think about a kind of transformative abolitionist politics and to really move away um, from some of the currents of, of neoliberal feminism um, that have been quite dominant recently.
1: And I'm sure many of our listeners would have a question about the accessibility of the book. So do you need to be like a professional in this area to understand it? Or is it quite, quite uh, sort of uh, easy to understand?
2: Um, No, we really wanted to make sure that um, the book um, was accessible to a wider audience beyond just specialists. Um, I would say, you know, it's it's not for an absolutely general, general readership, um, but I think that it is something that, you know, the, the, the writing is very clear. It's not jargony. It is meant to sort of grab the reader's interest. And so I think that, um, you know, certainly like anyone that is interested in feminism in documentary and experimental film would um, find it to be fairly accessible.
1: Now, thinking about the bigger picture, maybe a a bit of a reflection. So how important do you think filmmaking as a medium is for for, uh, furthering this discourse about feminism and world uh, feminist world making? And how do you contemporary media, like TikTok videos, for example, feed into it? I mean,
2: TikTok is a vernacular form of image making that exists in a different historical moment and with a whole different set of parameters than the kind of practices that we're looking at here. Um, So I I don't really think that that relation um, is a strong one.
1: Yeah, Fair enough. (laughs) So what discoveries in your research for your book, Feminist Worldmaking and the Moving Image, surprised you the most?
2: Um, I think for me, it was um, a tremendous pleasure to be able to um, immerse myself in watching many, 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 many films, most of which I had never heard of before, um, over a period of several years, um, which, you know, are films that can be very difficult to access, and in many cases, you know, don't have um, English subtitles, and so. Um, I think one of the things that surprised me um, in a very positive way was um, actually how little I knew because, you know, when I started the project, I thought I had a sense of what was out there and what kind of things we might include um, in the exhibition or, you know, commission texts for the book. and. Um, Actually, we really, um, you know, went quite far in watching hundreds and hundreds of films. And um, it, it, you know, was an amazing experience and very kind of inspiring and enriching for me. But it also uh, made me sad in a certain way because I really saw how many terrific works there are out there that are just not getting the exposure or the research that um, perhaps they deserve.
1: And do you have your favorite way of viewing the films? Like, for example, with your friends or on your own or in a classical movie theater? Definitely in a movie theater.
2: Um, I mean, I think that... um, There's something very special about the perceptual and temporal uh, situation of the movie theater, uh, the large scale of the image and the way that that space kind of channels your attention and shuts you off from um, the outside world. I think that that's very important. with friends I suppose because it's nice to have some sort of discussion afterwards
1: well this has been a really fascinating discussion and uh, I and our listeners are definitely inspired now to go and look up those films uh, that you feature in your book so we're wondering what's next for you what's your next project
2: ah well um Next year, um, we'll sort of continue with with this project in a way because the exhibition um, is touring next year to the Museum of Modern Art in Warsaw. And we'll also be um, doing some film programs um, in different places based on the book um, and the exhibition. Um, And so I'm continuing to um, do research in this area, also um, thinking of writing a text about um, feminist film historiography, and also possibly um, about the, the the film I mentioned earlier, Proceso per Stupro.
1: And where can our listeners find more information about your work, your book, and the exhibition as well, if they want to pop in and have a look?
2: Um, On the website of the Haus der Kultur in der Welt, it's hkw.de. And there you can find information about um, the exhibition, including the curatorial introduction, um, the book. Um, There's also a podcast uh, with four episodes and there's also um, an online cinema. We're showing a really wonderful film, Winter Ade by Helke Misselwitz um, for free uh, streaming online all summer uh, worldwide. And it's a really beautiful film that is discussed also in the book in a text by um, Elena Gorfinkel about the grandmother, the figure of the grandmother in cinema. Um, and in this film, Helke Misselwitz um, travels across East Germany um, just before the country would cease to exist and she talks to women and girls across various generations and it's shot in 35 millimeter um, black and white really really gorgeous cinematography oh wow looking forward to look to watching that (laughs) it's a great one It's not so, so well-known, especially outside of Germany, Um, but it's a very, very special film. And I think it really encapsulates um, a lot of what we were interested in, in, in this project, in the book and in the exhibition.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you.